This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. He will be back on Monday. He might even be back tonight. I heard it's a real quick turnaround. I would have asked for another couple of days in Vegas, to be honest with you. I think I think I can handle the show on Monday if Jeff really wanted to take some extra time. I would have. But that's just me. I love Vegas. Rob Rossi from The Athletic joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, Rob, uh, firstly, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, not as good as Jeff and Elliot because they're in Vegas, but I, I, I'll <laughs> right, get there right. eventually. Um, so first question, how kind of surprised were you at maybe not the yesterday's move entirely of bringing Kyle Dubas in, but maybe more so that it was for the president of hockey ops job and not the general manager position? Well, I, I wasn't surprised from this standpoint. Um, very early, like, the day they um, they hired or the day they fired Ron Hextall and um, Brian Burke, I had heard from some people in the organization that, you know, if somehow Kyle Dubas became available, he was like the dream candidate uh, for Fenway Sports Group, who owns the Penguins. So um, once he became available, I'm not surprised that they pivoted sort of from the path that they were going down. And, you know, from afar – reading um, and, you know, and hearing some of the things about what, what were, became issues for Kyle in, in Toronto. Um, he clearly wanted full power and the Penguins were really quite happy to give it to him. So I know it doesn't say GM in his title, but I don't get the impression that if they do bring in a GM, it's going to be a situation where, the GM is um, is a normal GM as we understand it because Kyle's basically got power to do whatever he wants here in hockey ops. Well, and th- yeah, that was a that was a, a seemingly a big point of contention here in Toronto. Now with the Dubas hire, and I know that you know, especially near the end of the tenure for for Ron Hextall and Brian Burke in Pittsburgh, that you know the fan base was re- they were really out to get them with the pitchforks and, and fire, but. How was this hire perceived by the fan base, in your opinion? Because when I look at it, I look at Kyle Dubas as the complete polar opposite of both of those guys uh, that that were before him. Yeah, I mean, if um, if the fans had vilified uh, Hextall and Burke, that you know, the Kyle sort of the you know, the rock star coming to town that they're all excited about. Um, they are, they've been looking for something fresh here in Pittsburgh for a while. Um, and by that, I mean, excuse me, dealing with a bit of a cold. Uh, by that, I mean, the, the Penguins have been a great key, great franchise for the duration of the Crosby era, but it's probably been since, you know, 2019, that they have felt fresh and energized. Um, part of that is, is their best players are older and they've been around a while and, you know, they've, they've, they've won a lot. So um, there's always those burden of expectations, but there just hasn't been a real stated direction by whoever's managed the team since about 2019. I mean, uh, Jim Rutherford's latter years here in Pittsburgh were pretty, um, Hectic. He, he made just he, he made a trade every month, um, and so there was and they weren't really a team that you felt could win the Stanley Cup. Uh, and you know the Hextall and Burke hirings because they happened during the pandemic, without fans in the buildings, and then because the Penguins sort of slid backwards under them. Um, you know, it, I don't want to say it soured things in Pittsburgh, but there hasn't been a fresh breath of air like there was when the Dubas hiring was announced and um, really just in 24 hours, it it feels like a a different organization. So how close do you think they were to hiring another GM before Dubas became available? Because it sounded like things were really heating up. And one of the names that was mentioned was Matthew Darsh. 
as a, as a potential candidate. And then Kyle becomes available and all of a sudden everything just stops because like, you know, and that's why, you know, the, the conversation about this was their ideal candidate from the beginning makes a lot of sense. It's just, he may or may not have been available. Do you think they were close on a GM before uh, Kyle Dubas? It was announced that his contract wasn't going to be renewed in Toronto. Uh, I think if Kyle had been fired on the Monday uh, following the Friday that he was fired, as opposed to that Friday, the Penguins would have a completely different manager right now um, or different president of hockey ops. I mean, they, they were really far down the road. Um, they had had sort of their finalists. Um, my colleague, Peter LeBron has reported that it was Matthew Darsh and uh, Steve Greeley. I've also heard those names. Uh, I know that there were, um, you know, multiple people that met with, um, FSG's ownership in Boston the week that the stuff with Kyle and the Maple Leafs was going down in Toronto. Those interviews were sort of like final interviews. Um, and, you know, the Penguins had, you know, I think there were like five, five, at least five, maybe six candidates in that. But they were close. Like, they were about to begin negotiations. And when, as soon as Kyle became available, it was almost like, you know, I, I don't mean to sound... I don't mean to sound um, uh, crass or anything, but it was almost like, you know, they, they had a prom date and were about to, you know, ask the prom date out. And, you know, then their dream date became available and they're like, okay, we're moving on. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the way they treated it. Um, so yeah, it changed everything. And I, and I do think if it, that it even happened a couple days later that Kyle was fired, that it, you know, he certainly wouldn't be in Pittsburgh right now. Uh, just as an aside, uh, before we, we move on to some other things pertaining to the team, now that Kyle Dubas is a GM, do you think if they had brought in someone like Matthew Darsh or Steve Greeley that they still would have tried to bring in Kyle Dubas as the president of Hockey Ops? Or do you think that they would have gone in an entirely different direction had they named a GM? Um, my, my impression is that if they had brought in, brought in one of those people uh, or one of the other candidates that that candidate might have been the GM, and you might have had a president of hockey ops that was um, uh, more of a a partner with the GM, um, but not necessarily where you had somebody as an all encompassing power like Kyle has. Okay, uh, Rob Rossi from the Athletic joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. So now that we know that Kyle is going to handle the, the GM duties on an interim basis, you know, go through the draft, he'll go through uh, the first bit of free agency. And then it sounds like they're going to get going on that process. Are there any names that kind of stick out to you as, as, or, or maybe you've heard a couple that may be candidates now that Kyle is the president of hockey ops. Cause I know that Jeff has a thing now. Um, Cause Kyle said he wants it to, to be someone with a different skill set than what he has and the name that popped up in Jeff's mind was Jason Spezza. And I, I thought, you know, someone who it's going to be a young up and coming guy. Where do you sit on that? I, I could easily see Spezza joining Kyle in Pittsburgh or even joining FSG in a role there. But um, I don't think it would be as like general manager. I could mm-hmm. see him being maybe a, um, maybe associate GM. Um, I could see a situation where there really isn't a general manager in Pittsburgh, but you have like an associate GM and then maybe two or three assistants that handle specific roles. And the associate is kind of um, sort of a lieutenant to Kyle. But um, even in that situation, I wonder if they would create a different role for um um, Spezza only because, you know, though thought of so highly around hockey and especially by Kyle, he's, he's still relatively new in terms of his post-playing career. And they may want that associate GM to have a little bit more of a managerial experience. Okay. Um, so I, but I could, I could see a situation where, you know, it's, uh, he's, he's definitely a part of the, the management hierarchy, but they may, they may almost create a role for him there. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so Kyle talked a lot in his press conference about, you know, chatting with Mike Sullivan and Sidney Crosby and betting on a roster that has those two guys plus Malkin and Latang. But generally speaking, that that's not been the issue with this team. The periphery might be. And there's a little bit of cap space to work with, but not a ton of assets. So is the heavy lifting going to be done in free agency? Or do you think there's kind of some ways that they can move some pieces around and, and really work on the the periphery through trade? I do think there's opportunity to make some trades. I think it's going to require some creativity and some willingness to part with, you know, assets that they don't really have in much supply. For instance, they may have to be willing to trade down in the draft and move their, I think they got the 14th pick uh, as part of a package that, would um, free up some cap space by enticing a team to take one of the bad contracts that they have. Um, But I do get the sense that it's going to be a two-pronged approach. One, how to use that free agent money to, you know, build around that core that they have um, and also through trades. And there may be some, you know, there may be one trade that uh, maybe two where you look at it from the outside and you go, Hey, maybe the Penguins didn't necessarily win that trade talent for talent, but I always go back to one of Jim Rutherford's first moves when he, I think it's very first move when he got to Pittsburgh in terms of personnel was uh, he traded James Neal, who at the time was, you know, a 40 goal scorer, or at least on pace to be in back-to-back seasons. Um, And uh, he ended up getting Patrick Hornquist. And a lot of people were like, well, Hornquist isn't as, good of a scorer as Neil was, but he was a better fit for what the Penguins needed. And I could see maybe a move like that. Um, I think the biggest thing they're going to have to figure out, and, and Kyle alluded to this yesterday, is how they value Tristan Jari versus where the league values Tristan Jari. And if that differs greatly, I think they're going to have a, a situation where they got to figure out their goaltending. Well, it's, I was I was gonna get there. Um, I'll get back to I'll get back to some another question that I had just about a, a trade. But the Jari thing is is probably the most pressing issue because you know again Kyle talked about you know I'm gonna chat with Mike Sullivan, I'm gonna chat with Andy Kyoto. But when you look at the UFA market, it's not very good. And uh, right. Tristan Jari may end up being one of the better goalies on the UFA market. So I guess that leads us to believe that if Kyle is gonna go out and get a goaltender, it's probably gonna have to be through a trade and you, and just, I'm trying to tie these two together and, and I'm see, we'll see if you follow my lead here. You talked about moving James Neal, who was a 40 goal scorer. And I don't, not that I condone any of this, but he's on a very friendly deal considering what he does Would the guy that they may need to look at moving be Jake Gensel. Uh, I, if it were me, I would. Um, now that's a complicated situation, right? Because a, Jake has one more year remaining on his deal. Mm-hmm. So as much of a bargain he is now, he won't be presumably on his next deal. Um, I don't know if um, Jake is beloved by Crosby and um, Sullivan. And I think that would be a very painful thing. You'd have to, you know, obviously well, Kyle can make the trade, but you would certainly have to include the, the coach and the, the captain in that decision. But it, depending on what they could get back, if it could bring them some uh, type of player that could help on the back end alongside Chris Letang and Marcus Pedersen, or if it could bring back a goaltender that um, would allow them to move on from Jari, um, I think they have to look at making that trade. Um, I think the only, you know, I, I would say right now, the only three players that probably are safe are Crosby, Malkin, and Latang because they have full no trade clauses. Uh, I think anybody else they will they will consider moving on from if it means improving the team around those three. Uh, 
the other the other name that I mean as a guy you would probably love to move his contract and it was again one of the more bizarre things that we had seen uh from the Ron Hextall era in Pittsburgh was and I think you know where I'm going with this or at least there's a couple but I think you know where I'm going with this one uh Mikel Granlin with two more years left at five million per and this not a slight against the player he's just not a five million dollar player at this point in his career is that maybe I don't want to say priority number one but at least priority one a for Kyle Dubas or one B to try and get that contract out of town because, you know, they could do a lot with $5 million or even if they eat half, they could do a lot with two and a half million dollars. Cause one thing yeah. that Kyle Dubas has done really well is he's been able to find bargain contracts during his time in Toronto. I would be very surprised if one of the first moves made isn't involving Mikel Grandland in either a buyout or a trade where they retain some salary. Um, and I want to be very clear here. I think, I think Granlin was put in an impossible situation. He wasn't a fit in Pittsburgh. Um, he was acquired in what was a, basically a desperation heave from a management team that was already sinking and, um, or desperation reach from a management team that was already sinking. And, um, because of that, he kind of became the poster child for a failed administration here in Pittsburgh. I think it would be best for him if they moved on. I think it would, I know it would be best for them if they moved on. It's a matter of how they choose to do that, not, not if they're going to do that. Is it a buyout, which would give them, you know, four years of um, some sort of cap relief, but the first two years it would be significant. Is it maybe, maybe you look at a Chicago that's going to have a young team and a lot of cap space. Maybe they're interested in a veteran player like that to help, uh, you know, show the ropes to Connor Bedard. And maybe you can get them to take a, take on his contract and in exchange for, you know, maybe you eat a million dollars of it or something and, and they give you, you know, a prospect or a pick back in return, but anything they can do to free themselves of that, it's going to be addition by subtraction. And again, that's not because of the player. It's because of the contract. Yeah, it's going it's to be a uh, very interesting offseason in Pittsburgh. That's for sure. Rob, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. And, you know, when Jeff gets back, just make sure he sends you to the one the games in Miami. Yeah, he better. Better games. He better. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <laughs> there he goes. Rob Rossi from The Athletic. Uh, and just for anyone wondering, just as I you know, try and work my mouse here. Uh, the cap hit uh, in the first year of Mike Mikhail Granlin's deal, 833,000 and then 1.8333333333 for three years after that. So very, very interesting to see what's going to happen with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's it for us in the first hour. Gord Stellick, Leafs Nation pre and post game and co-host of the Morning Skate on the NHL Network Radio will join me. Uh, we'll chat a little bit about Kyle Dubas heading to Pittsburgh. We'll talk a little bit about what he heard from Brad Trilliving yesterday, and we'll go over the Stanley Cup final a little bit as well. Also, in the second hour, we'll be joined by Chris Cuthbert, who will have the call game one tomorrow night between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers. Yes, it's going to be a fun Stanley Cup final. Deal with it. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick. Oh, let me adjust my headphones here. Just waiting on Gord Stellick here as we uh, we'll look back on what we heard yesterday a little bit. We'll get the we'll get the Leafs perspective here. And, and the aforementioned Gord Stellick is on the line. Gord, how are you today? I'm good, Matt. How are you doing? I'm good. How was the game yesterday? Gord was at the Blue Jays game, by the way. I forgot to bring a hat, so I had to adjust <laughs> there. Uh, it, you know what? It was pretty good. Pretty good afternoon game. They got all the uh, runs uh, early. They need some Ws, so I actually went with uh, 
my men's curling team. We booked it a while ago. So uh, enjoyed the game. Got to catch all the uh, off off ice hockey action that went on. You so you did not want to spend fifty dollars at the shop to get a hat, Gord? I, uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, don't, I, I covered it with other stuff. It all worked out. Oh, I'm still responsible. See, still I would. Responsible. Yeah, see, I'd like, you know, some people, they would make adjustments. I mean, it also depends how, how much you've been served while you're there. But, you know, they would fashion something together with, like, the nacho platter. And I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. And they're probably listening to this show. Um, okay, so I, I just, uh, and we'll get into the Bradshaw Living stuff uh, in just a bit here. But I just spoke to Rob Rossi about Kyle Dubas and joining the, the Penguins. How do you think the Leaf fan base looks at that? Because in some ways, I feel like he went from sympathetic figure to maybe public enemy number one because he said he wasn't going to go work anywhere, but everything changed, and we know that. Um, do you? I, I feel like he's almost become a martyr at some point, like Alex Anthopoulos was with the Toronto Blue Jays, and now it's all of a sudden like, I, I know I saw a lot of people in my mentions that they hate Kyle Dubas now. Oh man, man, yeah, yeah. You know the Anthopoulos analogy is pretty good, and and uh, in his case, okay, you know, uh, good on him. Wish him all the best with the Pittsburgh opportunity. Um, he, I, I don't want you to use the word. I, I'm, I want to be sensitive about you know genuine you know family considerations and what have you, but it's kind of like. You know, if you're putting all together, the story really doesn't add up. So was this strictly a contract ploy uh, to get a bigger deal that he did present to Maple Leafs or, or his representative did? I mean, was that what it was all about? Um, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, like I said, wish him all the well. If his heart wasn't in the Toronto job, I think that's a big thing. And Brendan Shanahan making that decision for, you know, if you want to be skeptical um, that – near miraculously his his personal situation turned around in a, in a in a short number of days and they were ready to go somewhere else from the the burnout and he just said he maybe was just too honest on that particular day i i i'm not going to over dissect it i don't consider him public enemy number one um hey it was kind of like a coronation in pittsburgh and, and good for him uh you know he's still i see this with all due respect not the second coming of scotty bowman or someone like that you know so Whatever, but all you have to have is, you know, when people were talking, he's going to wait around for the Ottawa job because Ottawa was his favorite team, which I'm kind of, what does that all matter, you know? So anyway, uh, people can think about it as they wish. Uh, He's got somewhere new, and, you know, Brad Living for me right now is the right guy for this job. It would be, you know, in the Alex Anthopoulos analogy, it would be insane here if uh if the pittsburgh penguins happened to win a stanley cup before the toronto maple leafs did i think people would would riot in the streets um okay on to brad for living and and what we heard in the press conference yesterday i felt like brad said all the right things and i'm not surprised by that because brad is very good in the media hey he even returned my text message of all people in the world he returned my message so uh brad for living tops in my books but you know the one thing that he did that I thought was very intriguing, he did kind of play like he didn't commit to anything yesterday. And I, and I don't think, I didn't think he was going to, but you know, when it came to moving anybody from the core four or the coach, like he is looking at all options when it comes to this team. And I would expect nothing different. How do you think that Brad handled that press conference yesterday? Yeah, I, I thought, and, and that's, you know, one thing because Hey, media accessibility isn't the be all and end all, but, Kyle had a lot of media in his corner. He was not a very accessible, <laughs> accessible individual, you know, compared to general managers around the league or, or previous general managers of him. I'm not supposed to saying they're supposed to, you know, drop everything at the, or at the drop of a hat and, uh, and join you or whatever. I, I just, you know, uh, it's funny talking to Brian Burke about it. Cause he hired him in Calgary and just the track record about the kind of, I know he didn't make the NHL or anything, but the kind of kind of player he was like a tough competitor, uh, from a from a wealthy family, but didn't act like he had a silver spoon in his mouth in that. I mean, he's always worked hard. Uh, the what he did in Calgary, when you think the Bill Peters situation, that was a very difficult situation that happened there about the coach, with you know other things that were falling you know uh, around about the treatment of certain players, and he had to make a coaching change under difficult circumstances. I think Daryl Sutter became a difficult pro, kind of more of a problem last year, you know, to deal with. And, of course, all he had to deal with last summer, I mean, the big unexpected one was Johnny Goodrow and then how he was able to pivot and rebound and, you know, get something quality in return when he traded Kachuk. So I, I, 
once Brendan Shanahan said he was looking for a qualified person, and I'm never against giving someone new an opportunity. I mean, there's new guys like Mike Greer and Pat Verbeek in Anaheim and San Jose. You know, he just seemed like the perfect guy for the job and also having been in a Canadian market. So he gets what this is all about. This isn't his first rodeo. And uh, I, you know, I liked, I know some people thought uh, it was, I, I liked, I thought, what else, what else do you want out of the guy than what he did yesterday? So he, he did say when it came to the core four that he would look at all options. He also talked about how he needs to, you know, protect his players. And, you know, he talked about the skill and how hard it is to acquire skill like that. But is when it comes down to it, Gord, we've, you know, the, the definition the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Do you think that it it almost just has to happen at this point that they got to move somebody out of that core four and it's probably out of three and in reality it's probably out of two? Well, you never have to move anybody. It's always what can you get back. So if, if there's a real good hockey trade to be made, then you should always be open to that that possibility. But, you know, particularly in the case of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, I mean, you've got two superstar, borderline superstar players that, okay, I know there's the playoff disappointments, but those are players you just don't fill. Uh, you just don't fill the void with, you know, it, it, with them being gone. So it's not that easy. You know, it's, um, uh, it's yeah, they've all got to wear it as a team, the star players and coach and management, everyone about a lack of playoff success. You can look at this past year and said they took one step forward, but it kind of got erased in a lot of ways because they didn't really show up for the Florida series, the first three games they played. So uh, I'm like, I'm okay with, again, it's not the core four, it's the 23, as he mentioned, you know, even though, even though scoring was a problem, you looked on the D that there were some, you know, some, some moments there in the playoffs. As far as that goes, he's a guy that's been, big on drafting and, and uh, trading for defensemen. And maybe those are the kind of types of tweaks that he's going to make. So uh, like, again, the core four after, after next year, uh, who knows the players will have some control about it. But I mean, unless you're getting something like really quality back in return, that makes it a good hockey trade. I'm quite, I'm okay with the core four. Okay. And the, and the leader of, of that is Austin Matthews and, and Brad went out of his way. I mean, he, he, there was the first question that was asked by Terry Koshen from the Toronto Sun, and he really put Brad to the fire right away. But he did say that he had spoken to both Austin Matthews and his agent, Judd Moldaver. And the more that I think about this, like I, I know that I know people are making a big deal about, oh, well, you know, Austin Matthews had a great relationship with Kyle Dubas, and, and this is going to hurt and all that. But at the end of the day, and, and like Brad said, he has a good relationship with Judd Moldaver. Brad's been around the league a long time. I'm sure we, I'm sure he's dealt with Judd uh, more than once. There is at least some sort of a relationship with there. We don't know the extent of it, but you know, all this conversation about Kyle Dubas isn't there, so Austin Matthews is gonna isn't gonna sign is pretty insane the more and more I think about it. But when it comes to Austin Matthews, do you think that he ends up signing an extension before July 1st? Because that's got to be something that plays into Brad Treliving's mind, especially after what he dealt with with Johnny Gaudreau last year. Well, first of all, the notion about uh, a general manager leaving is going to impact the decision is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, I, you know, um, and again, you know, hey, the people that back Kyle, like <laughs> he could, in some quarters, could do no wrong in any way, shape, or form. Like he's the only GM that could keep Austin Matthews. And he never said that himself, but... You know, no, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. If he wants to stay here, there's a deal to be made. Uh, he, if he didn't want to stay here, he'd leave. If Kyle Dubas was a general manager, you know, whomever. So, I, I, you know, the morning where Kyle, looking back at it, said maybe he was a little too honest about his emotions because that was kind of the biggest surprise of the clearing out thing. I, the other more pleasant, uh, I thought, comment was Austin Matthews saying he's looking to sign long term in uh, in Toronto. So, I mean. He didn't have to say that. He didn't have to volunteer that. But uh, so I got to believe in what he's thinking now. Uh, obviously, uh, Leaf fans can choose to start panicking July 2nd onwards when it's not done. Uh, we saw in Colorado, they went through a big chunk of the season with Nathan McKinnon not done. Done Last year, Boston did it with David Pasternak not done. Like they would have become unrestricted free agents at the end of the year. So, you know, you got you to gotta figure the comfort level about that. And this is like Matthew Kachuk, okay? Johnny Goodrow is the one that hurt the Calgary organization because they knew he could go as a UFA, you know, fine. 
but also they thought he had him. Well, they, he, he made an agreement, and then at the, the 12th hour and one minute, um, because of other considerations, went the other direction. So that was the one, you know, the setback there. The, then the Matthew Kachuk one was bringing it to a head right away and trying to get something in return. So he's been through it once before. I don't, I, I, um, to me, Austin Matthews will be a, tro- you know, you've got, I mean, you've got, you've got to, you got to give it a run with your best player too. You're talking about trying to win a Stanley cup. So trading him for three first round picks and whatever else you get in return just, just isn't, isn't just a viable option. But obviously if you start running into trouble and the team is in trouble of making the playoffs, uh, then you look at it a bit different. But I, I, I just think all this, any, any kind of perspective trade talk, particularly about Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner, uh, is, is really premature and, and really unfounded. And if they are going to make a move for anybody, I mean, if you, I think if you trade Austin Matthews, you've already made the decision that you're not really going for it. Um, but if you're trading anybody else, it has to be for assets that can help you right now with this team, the way that they're currently constructed. I don't think there's any question about that. The, the other thing that, and Gord Stelic is my guest here on the Jeff Merrick show. The other thing that people have been talking about, because it's the easy, it's the easy thing to do. And I don't think that it's wrong. I just think it's an easy uh, branch to go out on, but talking about players that Brad has brought, had brought in in Calgary, maybe, you know, there's some players that, are looking to move out. You know, Craig Conroy's got a bunch of guys with one year left on their deals. How much do you think the familiarity thing plays with GMs who go to a new team and then, hey, I really like that guy. I really want to try and bring that guy in. Obviously, with the the, the salary cap, that has, you know, a lot to do with what you can and cannot do. But do you think there are some players that Brad looks at in Calgary and goes, you know what? I think that guy would be a really good fit here, and I'm going to do my darndest to try and bring them in. Well, again, showing my age, uh, Cliff Fletcher <laughs> made the big uh, Doug Gilmore trade yep. again. There was there was no cap uh, involved, and money was a huge factor. So, and he, but his point was, he said, "This is the first time I made a trade, knowing more the guys I'm acquiring than the guys he was trading from Toronto to Calgary way back when." So, I, I, I just find, I mean, first of all, the cap is just such a big factor about how they fit in that, whether you like the player or don't like the player, that's another consideration that Cliff and others didn't have to face in the pre-cap era. I find it can be something that uh, is a positive, and I also find maybe you could be a little bit too sweet on somebody that, you know, it's kind of like they said, geez, you know, the, uh, the intangibles I liked really don't work for the kind of money now I'm paying them with the new team. But uh, I, I just think it's the, the knowledge of the league and all those other things that I, I think are an asset for Brad for living in that regard. Yeah. I just, the one Jeff made the joke, like how quickly does Michael Stone sign with the, uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Cause that is the, <laughs> that's the obvious one. Um, it, it is going to be really interesting. The other thing that, that was of interest was Sheldon Keith and Brad openly discussed that he does not have a previous relationship with Sheldon. I think he said they've, they've talked a couple of times or, or whatever, but they have spoken and, is that going to be priority number one for the Leafs right now? Because if they're if they're going to move on from Sheldon Keith, they have to find a new coach, and that may also be what determines you know the length of contract for Austin Matthews. I mean, he has his own thoughts. I still think it's no longer than a three year deal because he wants to maximize his money. But that's all part of the plan in keeping Austin Matthews happy in Toronto is having the right coach. How quickly do you think they make this decision? Well, I think in Austin's case, he had the wrong coach in Mike Babcock. So that's, you know, that's uh, already, you, you've made a positive change. And I'm sure Brad for living, uh, if he's going to keep him or let him or have bring somebody else in, it would be someone that uh, uh, Austin Matthews liking him would be a factor. So, you know, so the priority still is the players. Okay. Cause you, the, you, the superstar players are just harder to get than a coach. The timeline urgency is the coach. Uh, I think, you know, it's a funny one because Kyle's inheriting a situation in Pittsburgh kind of like when he inherited Mike Babcock here, which wasn't a good situation the first year. He's inheriting a very strong coach in Pittsburgh in, in Mike Sullivan. I also think, you know, uh, that in the case of uh, what's going on here, that he, he doesn't, after the, after the situation with Sutter last year, you know, who was, again, a coach with a lot of, a lot of clout that, you know, he wants to be careful, uh, you know, uh, to make sure he has a proper coach GM relationship like he had before Daryl Sutter in Calgary. So anyway, I, I think, I think right now it's along the lines, what Barry Trott said the other day in Nashville, 
that with John Hines, I know it might have been unfortunate he had to wait a while, but Barry Trotz mentioned he had three particular candidates he wanted to talk to, and uh, he, he talked to the one, and it was uh, Andrew Brunetti decided was the one. Now, uh, in the case here, they don't have the same kind of time to do it, uh, but uh, but it's something, you know, over whether, I don't know, like the next, I don't know about three days, but the next, say, 10 to 14 days, you know, figure out where Sheldon, he, he, he must, he'd have to have targeted a couple of other people. It's not that there's going to be 15 coaches interviews, but that one is time-wise is, is the most pressing. And he also want to give Sheldon a chance to catch on somewhere else, much like John Hines now has permission to interview for the New York Ranger job. Well, and Brad mentioned, you know, that he, he inherited Bob Hartley when he took over as the GM yeah. in Calgary and Bob Hartley ended up winning coach of the year. Now he's not saying that Sheldon Keith is going to go win coach of the year, but what he's saying is I'm not ready to, to just, you know, throw, Sheldon Keefe under the bus here. Like there's going to be a conversation. We're going to see how things go. And again, that was the genius of Brad in that he didn't commit to anything. He didn't commit to keeping or letting go of Sheldon Keefe. But in your opinion, when you look at this team and you look at the the regular season success they've had under Sheldon Keefe, and you look at the lack of playoff success, what do you think the likelihood likelihood is that he is back at least for one more year and then they maybe try and figure this out afterwards? Because, you know, there are a lot of people that will say that he's been outcoached in, you know, four of the five series that they've had. Um, but, you know, when you look at it, there is something to be said about the regular season success and Sheldon Keefe doesn't play the game. So when the playoffs come around, he's not the guy on the ice. What do you what do you put the odds at that he is back as the head coach next year? Um, well, I think 50, 50, at least like, uh, you know, it's again, and, and Brad, you living emphasized it, that it's a very impressive regular season record. You know, it's a very impressive. And he, he mentioned feeling that, uh, Sheldon had got the team more focused on two way hockey, you know, team says, so, I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of positives there, but then on the other thing, Matt, yeah. At, at what, like, I mean, look at the impatience elsewhere. Pete DeBoer took his fourth team to the final four a place the Maple Leafs haven't been since the Pac winner. He's taken four different NHL teams. So that means he's been fired by three others. Uh, Bruce Cassidy got fired by Boston and look what he's doing. Paul Maurice um, packed it in with Winnipeg mid season. And, you know, uh, again, it took, it took Florida a long time to get going this year. They didn't have a great regular season, but for the first time they got going when it mattered. Now, how much was it the new coach uh, or not? I don't know. You know how uh, Matthew Kachuk played from all season. So I mean, there was a there was a great move Bill Seidel was able to make because of circumstances. But the players that hadn't done well in the playoffs for them uh, just started started to, and that's it continues to be what we look for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it's not like if the core four is here or not, that's going to change things. Or if Sheldon keeps the coach or not, that's going to change things entering the season about your chances once once the playoffs come around. So Brad has some work to do. Like there's a. <laughs> To come into this job and basically have a month before free agency, and I know he can't take part in the draft, so he can focus, you know, a little bit more on on free agency. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of legwork to be done here. I'm assuming there 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 are going to be trades because when a general manager comes in, usually there is a move or two to be made, and and some bigger than others. And Brad's certainly not afraid of making the big move, but free agency is going to be big because they have a bunch of free agent forwards. They have uh, they have to deal with um, what they're going to do with Matt Murray's contract. Like, is this going to be? I, I said this is one of the most pivotal off seasons in Maple Leaf history because of where they are at, at this kind of crossroads of this franchise. How busy of an off season do you think it is? Like, do you see fairly significant roster turnover here? Well, it was a bigger job for Kyle when he, he uh, took over for Lou Lamorello because all those contracts, they sort of, Lou had sort of got going on them. Then he had to, you know, the elite players do a whack of them in a short period of time. And again, you know, with the unrestricted unrestric free agents, uh, by and large, there's not, there's not the star star players. You've got a Michael Bunting and other ones that he has to look and figure out where they all fit in. Um, so I, I, it's, to, to me, like, they got a handle on it. They got a scouting staff in place. They've got a solid organization. There really is no panic. Uh, when when uh, Dave Nonis got fired, uh, they, they Brandon Shanahan just had a transition, uh, transition team kind of when they went to the draft and when they traded Phil Kessel, right? They hadn't they had not signed Lou Lamorello as the GM yet. So they have the people in place. And the other, you know, the urgency about okay, you got to make a trade 
uh, let's say for Marner and uh, or Mar- Marner Matthews, whatever guys before their no no trades, no moves kick in on July first. Well, if it got to the point that a trade had to be made, I mean, much like Brent Burns agreed to go to Carolina, it was it was not one of his uh, places he could be traded to from San Jose. But you know, if it's sort of out there that okay, it's probably in the best interest of both parties to make a trade then it gets done. You know, the player will agree to go to a, a desired location. So it, it, July 1st doesn't, doesn't turn that particular mechanism off if you, if you need it. You don't have the control to do it unilaterally as much, but it's, it's still available if that's the direction you want to go. So there's no, like you said, he does not need to make a move just to show everyone he's made a move. You know, he's got, he's got a good handle on things. And uh, I know people always like, you know, they want, they want that 27 minutes when Taylor Hall got traded for Adam Larson and P.K. Subin for Shea Weber and, you know, all those kinds of things. But those things don't happen very often. Okay, I have, since you brought that up, um, do you remember? That's one of those moments, like, especially when you're in this business, like, do you remember where you were when that 27 minutes of madness happened? Yeah, well, and also, yeah, I was in the car because also the, the third piece, which most other places didn't care about, Stephen Stamco signed with Tampa Bay. Yeah. So it was part of it. And at that particular point, we in Toronto thought there was a very good chance he was going to stand here. But, it was, yeah, it was like, kind of like on a day like this. I think maybe it was around this time, Matt. I'm not sure. Maybe a little later in the afternoon. And, you're, you know, you're thinking, okay, slow news, slow news. And then bang, bang, bang. And you just kind of go, holy crap. I mean, those were two big, real hockey trades. And in the Stamkos thing, again, you know, Steve Eiserman did the model there that, you know, they've taken over other places that he, he wasn't afraid to let Steven Stamkos go test free agency because he felt he had a better, a best, a great, the best setup for him was Tampa Bay. And that's what happens if you win and you have a good organization. And, you know, there's all these positives, which the Toronto Maple Leafs have, the part they're lacking is that playoff success part, which the Tampa Bay Lightning had and still have. Yeah, I remember I was hitting golf balls at a driving range. I, th- I, can't, I think I was with my brother-in-law or something, and my phone just started going ballistic. Yeah. And he looks at me and goes, he goes, dude, what the heck is going on with your phone? I was, he did, says, it's going it, off it, like it, crazy. I go, I don't did know. It help your, did it help your distance? Did it hurt no. your distance? No, Gordon, nothing no. helps my distance. New <laughs> clubs couldn't help. The best, the best golf balls, the be- everything, no. Nothing is going to help this horrible game. Uh, Listen, Gordo, you spent a lot of time with me today. I greatly appreciate it. And next time, don't forget your hat at the ballpark. I won't. Okay, good tip (laughs) to everyone. Thanks very much, Matt. You have a good one. There he goes. Gord Stelic, Leafs Nation pre- and post-game, and also co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. It's funny that Gord brings that up because I remember exactly where I was. And uh, it would have been in and around the GTA, a small little driving range not far from... Uh, then, then girlfriend, maybe fiance, now wife. I can't remember. Time all blends together when you, when you have so many gray hairs. And I remember my phone going nuts and I'm just like, what the heck is going on here? And then it's, you know, there's one trade, boom, there's another trade, boom, Stamco science, boom. And you're going, okay, what's the next thing that's going to happen? That was a really ridiculous day. And honestly, If the Stanley Cup final goes to a game seven, that's June 19th. I want to say that is a Monday. If my calendar is correct in my head, I think we could use a few of those before the end of this show. Could you imagine Lance and Jen having to listen to me ramble about absolutely nothing for two weeks with Jeff and then a week by myself? Yeah, Lance is laughing. He won't be laughing then. All right, we have a game one to preview. Yes, it's finally here. I can't believe it. The Stanley Cup final is here tomorrow night. Things kick off. The Vegas Golden Knights, the Florida Panthers. We're going to break it down with Chris Cuthbert, NHL on sports, and that hockey night in Canada. And one of the voices of my childhood that I won't talk to Chris about. I'm sure he'd be like, oh, you're making me feel really old right now. I feel old myself. Chris Cuthbert joining Matt Marchese next on the Jeff Merrick show. You're listening on Sportsnet 590. Uh, sorry. Whoops. Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet Now, and watching on Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into the biggest stories in Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Welcome back. Final segment of the Jeff Merrick Show for this week. Jeff will be back on Monday. Matt Marchese here with you. Jeff is enjoying the sunny times and bright lights of Las Vegas, Nevada, as is my next guest, Chris Cuthbert from NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada, who will be calling the game. Also, uh, like the rest of our crew, got in quite late last night. Um, did you get enough Z's, Mr. Cuthbert? Well, a little blurry-eyed, which is nothing new for anybody reporting from Vegas, but uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I can't say uh, it was Vegas that uh, uh, that got me last night. It, it might be before this series is over, but uh, yeah, a late arrival, and uh, uh, I would say good morning, but I know it's not there, but good to be with you. And thanks for joining me. So, Elliot and I talked about this and and you've been and you've been calling games for for a long time and and the one thing that he said was I couldn't have imagined when I started at hockey night that we would be having a, a Stanley Cup final between Vegas and Florida that I would be attending that type of a final has that kind of resonated with you that you know how much the game has grown in your time in it and and specifically in the market of Las Vegas, because for the longest time, you know how the relationship was between sports and gambling. Well, they just didn't go together. The NHL went in feet first with it, with Vegas and the Golden Knights. And now for a second time in six years, they'll be hosting Stanley Cup games. Like it has it has it really kind of sunk in how how much this has come together with Vegas? Yeah, you know, it, it really is. It, it, I'm, I'm with Elliot. You wouldn't have expected this. Uh even a couple of years ago, I'll get to Florida in a second, but even flying in last night, you know, you see the, you see the strip and the the neon shining, but what struck me last night in flying in is how big this city is now. It's, it's a completely different city than it probably was even a decade ago. And, and I know there was so much skepticism about this being a transient uh, town and it's, it's, uh, it's it's just here for for weekenders and and people vacationing, but uh, I don't think we probably completely understood the market when they got into the league and and Bill Foley certainly did and had a vision and uh, it's become a huge success and and Florida we all know how badly it has struggled, but I, I thought it was notable and I mentioned it a couple of times during the. Uh, during the last round of both, both games against Carolina, because uh, uh, it wasn't a crowd full of, of Toronto fans. And when we used to go down to Florida to watch uh, or to do games, whether it be Montreal, Ottawa, or Toronto, uh, always the visiting fans outnumbered the, uh, the home fans. But this, this now is a, it, it looks like, and, and I don't know how, you know, how, how long that will last, but uh, for the time being, the, the Florida market is is kind of solidifying itself. Uh, and you know, it, it Tampa was a great market. It has become one of the best markets in the league. So it's not like Florida can't have success, but they needed a team, and I guess they needed uh, they needed some stability. And and it looks like they've got that now. And and uh, so it's it's two pretty good fan bases, even if it's. It's two fan bases you might not have expected to be facing off for the Stanley Cup final even a couple of years ago. So, like, in, in Canada, it's a little bit different, right? I mean, there's the there's legacy franchises like the Maple Leafs and and, and the Canadians. And, and generally speaking, the Canadian fan bases are all pretty rock solid. But when it comes to markets like Florida and, Mar- I mean, Vegas, maybe a little bit less so just because they're very fresh. But... It's a, you know, people talk about, oh, well, it's not a hockey market and it's not this, it's not that. But winning helps. Winning helps every sports franchise. It doesn't matter what market you're in. And there's a lot to be said about that, especially when you look at both of these franchises. Like, I do wonder what, you know, if Vegas had been like a lot of other, you know, expansion franchises where they struggled out of the gate and it took them, you know, three, four, five years to really get their footing. Like some of the other teams had to struggle with, maybe we're having a different conversation, but you know, winning is truly the, the magical elixir when it comes to a lot of these franchises, because when you win, people show up. Yeah. And, and they were given a, a great opportunity to succeed with the format of expansion. And uh, you know, while you're saying that I was thinking about the first expansion and, and some of the teams that <laughs> never had success because they they just couldn't get off the ground. Uh, uh, they didn't have good teams. The uh, the Oakland slash California Golden Seals uh, were an example. Uh, Kansas City had such a bad team that 
maybe we never found out if Kansas City could be a hockey market. And I only mention that because Kansas City all of a sudden is is kind of mentioned again. But, uh, I mean, absolutely winning helps. And, uh, uh, I mean, that's, that's why St. Louis, I think, was a good market from the start. Philadelphia was a good market for the start from the start. And, and Pittsburgh was a tough market until uh, – till, uh, a guy named Lemieux came along and, and uh, uh, they started to win. So yeah, uh, absolutely. So, and so the template uh, that, that you might've criticized uh, the league for in, in their expansion format certainly is, is paying dividends, whether uh, the traditional markets like it or not. Well, yeah. And we look at Seattle as well, getting to uh, the second round of the playoffs this year. Okay. So let's focus. Let's kind of nail down on this series here because I I look at this as, and it's a lot more, you know, I, a lot of people have been complaining there's no, there's no juice in this series. There's no, this, there's no, that. I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. I, I mean, I think Vegas does have a little bit of an advantage, but I think they're two pretty close teams. I think the storylines are a plenty. And the one at the top of the list for me is Matthew Kachuk versus um, Jack Eichel. And, you know, there was a conversation about will Matthew Kachuk be able to repeat the same success that he had in Calgary? Because, you know, look who he was playing with. He was playing with Lindholm. He was playing with Goudreau. And would Jack Eichel ever be, you know, the player that he was before he needed the, the, the neck surgery? Well, I guess we've answered both of those questions, and they are the two leading scorers on their teams in these playoffs. I mean, you probably couldn't have asked for a better storyline in terms of having, you know, arguably two of the best American-born players in the game right now playing in two markets that we didn't expect to be here maybe ever, and they get it on a national stage in the Stanley Cup final, which, I mean, could be big for the U.S., but I also think it's big for the NHL. Oh, I do too, and and I, I know I know fans across Canada that 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 may not resonate, but I I think what it what it does is, and I'll, I'll get to those specific guys, but I I I think this is just another you know uh, foothold in 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 a broader market for 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 the next wave of popularity of the sport. I mean, uh, if this is a whole new area of the u.s that probably has not been impacting television ratings and and listen i don't think anybody's expecting this to be a a huge rated series it 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 may end up surprising people if if it's as competitive and close as i i think it can be uh but you know I'll, i'll i'll step back a little bit i when i worked for nbc in the in the early years back in 2005, 2006. I remember doing a game in Atlanta. There's another case of a, a franchise that just couldn't get off the ground, and I, I'm still not sure if if the Atlanta market was the problem or just ownership and, and a bad team was the problem. But but beside that, we we were we were scheduled to do an Atlanta game that was supposed to be a regional broadcast. And and I found out later that our regional broadcast was basically Georgia. And and I asked, why would we not be in Florida? Why would we not be in the southern U.S.? So maybe back then that somebody, that that it could take a foothold and, and somebody could say, well, there's one of the, 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 the southern teams that's a rival of Tampa, whatever, a rival of Florida. Uh, you know, make that your southern market and try and establish it and and one of the executives with nbc said well he said uh, the only team anybody cares about in florida is detroit and i'm thinking <laughs> well that's not the way to that's not the way to grow the game and, and so i i think now with with so many teams in these southern markets that that get some success i i think uh you know incrementally we are we are growing the game so the numbers will start to grow and well, how does that affect uh, you know the, the Winnipeg Jet fans or or Toronto Maple Leaf fans? Well, you know if we can make the footprint bigger, then the revenue streams grow, and then the cap gets bigger, and then teams like the Maple Leafs and and well, right across the country can uh, maybe spend a little bit more money. So you know I do think there is an impact to this if uh, if maybe this series surprises people and becomes more popular and, and more viewed than than we might expect. Yeah, I think there's a, a potential big win. It also it also really does kind of showcase how the growth of the game has happened. I mean, Jack Eichel is from 
from Massachusetts and 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 Matthew Kachuk, you know, grew up in a hockey family and it, but did play, you know, as minor hockey in or youth hockey as it is in the states in St. Louis. I just look at the growth of the of the game and and you've called international hockey a plenty. You know, when you look at how the U.S. has really closed the gap on Canada and the rest of the world, like you could you could make the argument that in terms of total talent, they are uh, close to a 1B to Canada's 1A if we were to go there. They certainly they certainly have better goaltending. But when you look at the star power, you, you know, you, you have your Austin Matthews, you have the Kachucks, you have Jack Eichel, you have Johnny Gaudreau. Like we could go down the list. There's more. But. You know, it, they re- it really has closed the gap, and I think that's another point of emphasis here in that there is a ton of elite talent that's coming out of the U.S. because of the growth in some of these other markets. Absolutely, and and and, and the growth is coming from even the non-traditional uh, U.S. markets. It used to be Massachusetts, Minnesota, Michigan, and that's it. And uh, you mentioned Austin Matthews. We know where he's from. Uh, there are kids coming out of Florida now. Shane Gostisbehere was... Uh, uh, in the last round uh, with Carolina, uh, you know, a, a Florida-grown product. Um, but it, it's it's St. Louis, it's Texas, it's California. And again, there's what's, if we're doing the economic history of the league, go back to the trade of Wayne Gretzky and in, to Los Angeles in, in 1988. And, and that opened the door for all of this. There probably isn't a team in Dallas. There were multiple teams in California, if not for Wayne Gretzky. And and uh, and and again, so it, you know, I, I know there's a cynical, you know, it's Florida and it's Vegas and it doesn't resonate uh, north of the border. But I I think it, I think it has a chance to be an important series for for the league as a whole. Okay, let's uh, let's look at at the the game on the ice and and tomorrow night, uh, game one, eight o'clock, Sportsnet, CBC. You'll have the call with with Craig Simpson. And when I look at these two teams, to say that they're evenly matched may be a little bit, you know, maybe it's incorrect. But when you really kind of break it down and you look at the way that maybe Florida's played, not maybe they've played above expectations, especially in net, but. When you look at the lines and you look at how these teams are built, they're not as far off outside of the goaltending as people may think. I, I think you look at Vegas's defense with, you know, Petrangelo and Theodore and Martinez, but then you look at, at Florida's, they dealt away Mackenzie Weger and they still have been able to, you know, play well. Gustav Forsling has, has really improved and, and Aaron Eckblad is still Aaron Eckblad and Brandon Montour has been fantastic. I don't think that this is like th- this has all the makings to me of a long series. Now, I say that knowing that Florida has lost one game in their last two series, but I think it's actually a lot tighter than people may give the Panthers credit for here. Yeah, I, I think it is too. And I, it doesn't hurt that uh, if you get the same Bobrovsky as you've had in the last two rounds, uh, that should be uh, an edge for Florida too. Although, uh, you know, I've made my notes. On, uh, on the play, and it, it struck me as funny that uh, that Aiden Hill has a better save percentage in the playoffs than uh, Sergey Bobrovsky. Wild. That, that 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 kind of took me by surprise. That 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 shouldn't be the case. But uh, no, I I agree with you. I think there's uh, um, you know I I've broken it down to the point where I think the fourth lines could be the difference in this series because I, I was impressed with the fourth line of Vegas. I thought they were difference makers, especially in game six, but, but as that series wore on um, and I wonder if, if a fourth line of, of Carrier, Wah and Colasar doesn't get a big edge on, on Eric Stahl, Colin White. Now Ryan Lomberg's a, a player like those guys in Vegas and I think he's an important uh, guy who returned to the Florida lineup in the last round. Um, but, uh, you know, so if if we're getting down to it and it's the fourth lines that could be the difference, that's, uh, that tells you how close it should be. But uh, you've got star power. Uh, you've got, you know, uh, Reinhardt, Kachuk, and Verhage and Barkov. And you've got, on the other side, you've got Eichel and Stone. And what really impresses me about uh, Vegas is that uh, that streak down the middle. Eichel, Stevenson, Carlson, and Nick Waugh. That's, 
you know what, that's that's the old adage of being strong down the middle, and uh, and Vegas is pretty impressive in that department. Well, and it also helps that Eric, uh, I keep saying Eric because I'm, I'm imagining Eric Carlson getting into the Stanley Cup final at some point, uh, maybe if he gets traded this offseason. But William Carlson has 10 goals in the playoffs. He had 14 in the regular season, and there are just some guys, and I know this is a guy who has scored over 40 goals once in his career, and he did his first year in Vegas, but... He's really developed into a pretty fine third line center. He's done an excellent job of checking. I think he's, I think it, when he's on the ice, they're 14 goals, four and five against or something like that. Like, and he's getting tough matchups every single night. Like, have we, have we finally seen the evolution of William Carlson into, you know, exactly, I guess the prototypical third line center, the guy who can score goals, but can also check the heck out of your, your opposing top line. Yeah, he's he's a huge factor for uh, for Vegas. And uh, Bruce Cassidy mentioned that uh, he can throw that line out and break even and feel like you know everybody else will win in his other matchups. So send those guys out for the toughest matchup and uh, let and he trusts Carlson against anybody. And uh, you know it was it was McDavid. It's it's been all the. The toughest matchups. It was uh, Rope Hintz who was compared with McDavid. It was Mark Shifley in round one. So you know where Carlson's going. He's he's probably going. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Will it be Barkov's line? Will it be the Kachuk line? So, uh, but that's one of the matchups Bruce Cassidy probably wants. Although both these coaches like to roll the four lines, which is again uh, uh, why I'm wondering if that fourth line for Vegas gives them a little bit of an edge because he certainly doesn't have to hide them. Yeah. The other, and when you look at the top line for Vegas, like that Eichel, Barbashev and Marcia so line has been really good. And when you, when you look at them, I mean, outside of Jack Eichel, there's Marcia. So scored 30 plus goals in the NHL, which is no, which is no easy feat, but he's also been red hot in the playoffs. Barbashev has been pretty much the perfect fit for them. But when you look at that line as a whole, when you look at the names on it, you go, oh, it's Jack Eichel, and he's probably carrying those other two guys. But those other two guys have been the perfect fit alongside Eichel. They have some speed. They're certainly not afraid to go into the nasty areas, especially Barbashev, who also has some skill and some speed that's added to that. It really has been the perfect mix for them. And and what a find for Vegas at the trade deadline to bring a guy like Barbashev in who didn't come in with a lot of fanfare, but you could make the argument has been the best trade deadline acquisition that was made this year. I, I think so. And, you know, I, I will get back, bring it back to the Leafs because, you know, even at the time when they were negotiating the O'Reilly deal and, and I, I talked to some people and, and they said, you know, Barbashev would be quite an ad and uh, Kyle Dubas went the other way. He got Achari, and Achari paid dividends, and we know what he brought to the table. But Barbashev does have that extra layer of offense that, uh, in fact, he had a huge offensive year a couple of years ago. Uh, but he has been a good fit because he, he he's a great playoff player. He's gritty, and yet he has some offense to him. And, and Marsh is one of those guys that – loves to score and when he starts scoring i mean he didn't score the first seven of the uh of the playoffs and now he's got nine in ten so um and you're you, just to, just to add i smiled when you said he was a 30 goal scorer yes he was he was a 30 goal scorer with the florida panthers before he ended up here at vegas well that that's that's another one of those storylines that i keep telling people like there's a lot of layers to this series and that and that is one of them. You know, you talk about the cast-offs, and you could look on, on either side. I mean, we'll, I want to get to Verhage and Duclair on that top line with Barkov, but, you know, Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault were essentially had for free. And, you know, the Smith one was because Florida didn't want to have to deal with the contract. They wanted to protect Petrovic and and Good Branson, and, they, and then Marchessault goes. And those guys are, you know, they were part of the original Misfit group as well. And so for the, it to all come full circle after all these years that they haven't been in Florida to get Florida again and potentially win a Stanley Cup against their former team, I don't know. You can't write that kind of theater in Hollywood, and it happens in the NHL. So I'll take that as a storyline here. Yeah, that's, it, it is amazing when you see that that case, the Smith Marsh so, uh, you know, two for almost, for almost nothing. I was going to say two for the price of one, but... Uh, but also to get Shea Theodore kind of in the same 
backhanded way. Uh, you know, he was almost gifted to. Uh, um, it's. I mean, that that set this franchise on its way, and uh, and now here they are in two Stanley Cup finals in in their first six years. Okay, uh, one more for you, and I just wanted to, to talk about that Verhage-Barkov-Duclair line because, you know, when we talk about cast-offs, Verhage, you know, was an afterthought in the Maple Leafs organization, and then, you know, he kind of, I don't want to say he floundered because he was a really good AHL scorer with the Lightning, and then, you know, he kind of gets a, a, a shot with the Lightning, he impresses a little bit, and then Florida signs him as a free agent, and then he just scores 40 goals this year. And Anthony Duclair is another guy who kind of bet on himself, comes back from the Achilles injury, and is really, you know, given that line some jump with some speed. And it all it all comes back to they're centered by the former second overall pick in Sasha Barkov, the guy that everybody was surprised that Dale Talon took, ends up being the right pick. And now you look at that top line as one of the better, more balanced lines that we've seen in the game today. Yeah, they, they've got a lot of good elements. Duclair's speed is is really noticeable when he's going, and I, I think he's up to speed now after missing so much of the year. Um, Paul Maurice talked about scouting Verhage when he played for Tampa and how impressed he was with him, but he also adds that uh, Carter Verhage in large part is as good as he is because he also gets to play with Barkov and there's no, there's no sugarcoating that Barkov makes people around him so much better. But, uh, but back to Verhage, that's 48 goals now uh, between regular season and, and postseason for him. And he doesn't, you know, now that I've watched him for a couple of rounds, he doesn't look like this is happening by accident. He, he's, uh, he's got a great nose for the net and uh, he is a shooter. And uh, and he's been one of the more impressive guys in the playoffs for me. Yeah, he's been excellent. And uh, I'm sure tomorrow night will be nothing short of excellent. Although I do wonder about the week and a half layoff for the Panthers. Uh, it's going to be great theater as it always is. And Chris, you'll be on the call. Thank you so much for doing this today. Uh, maybe try and get a little bit more sleep tonight ahead of the game tomorrow. Uh, but greatly appreciated your time and uh, and have a good call tomorrow night. Uh, sleep in Vegas. I'm not sure that goes together, but uh, appreciate it, Matt. And we'll we'll talk soon. Thanks. There, there he goes, Chris Cuthbert, Hockey Night in Canada, NHL on Sportsnet as well. And we'll have the call tomorrow, CBC Sportsnet, eight o'clock Eastern Time. Okay, uh, just we got a couple. We got about a minute. 40 left here. Okay, so I wanted to go over a couple of things here because I had a an interesting conversation with my pal Jonathan Davis from the NHL Network Radio, and so the, everybody seems to think that. Sergei Bobrovsky is by far and away the leader for the Conn Smythe Trophy of Florida wins. And while I don't necessarily think that he is not the leading candidate, I think to say that Matthew Kachuk is not in the running is foolish. And as Jonathan pointed out to me, when you look at it, the Panthers have scored, where is it here? 50 goals. Matthew Kachuk has 19 points, I think. So when we look at it, are we like Matthew Kachuk has been in on almost 50% of the offense for the Florida Panthers. And that's even with some downtime. Actually, Matthew Kachuk has 21 points. So more than half of the offense, Matthew Kachuk has been involved in. I'm just saying, if you are a gambler, that there is some value there. I also think, shh, don't tell anybody, that there's some value in Aiden Hill if Vegas wins. I know everybody wants to talk about Eichel. Aiden Hill? Like Chris mentioned, better save percentage than Sergei Bobrovsky, who has been incredible all playoff. Thank you very much to everybody that joined me on the show today. Elliot Freeman, A Block Elliot, who kicks the show up almost every day. Uh, we're also joined by Rob Rossi from The Athletic as we went over Kyle Dubas and his Penguins arrival. Also, Gord Stellick, Leafs Nation pre and post, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network. And of course, Chris Cuthbert that just joined me now. Thanks to Lance. Thanks to Jen. Thanks to everybody that watched and listened. Matt Marchese has been in for Jeff Merrick. He will be back on Monday. You've been listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet Now, and Sportsnet 360.